being self-made to me is just freedom being able to do what you want creatively inspire in a way that only you can hey hold on i gotta turn the music off how are you you're jamming ain't you (laughs) you know what's awesome is i have i have my dion can you hear me yeah i can hear you I have my team put together a playlist so they what they think you listen to, what you like, and it puts me in the mood. And I'm lit and I got about ten songs I'm looking at in front of me and I'm listening to Only You, the Bad Boy remix featuring Notorious. And I'm like, this is it. And I've played it three or four times now. It's awesome. Like it puts me in the mood. Ah, it's the jam. It's definitely jam. It ain't, it ain't never gonna go away. Yeah. <laughs> How you doing? Good. Good. Thank, thank you. I'm fantastic. So, Dion, we haven't met, and I'm excited to meet you. And uh, I, I just for your fans because they don't they they just see a a, a dirty Santa Claus in front of them. Um, <laughs> wow. uh, I, I I I'm Brett Barish. I I own a business that that I develop brands, wine and spirit brands, Ace of Spades, Bel Air, Doucet, Bamboo, McQueen, a whole bunch. Uh, and uh, uh, for your benefit, I, I I started this thing a couple years ago where I I it's called self made, and I want to hear because it motivates me mm-hmm. people successful people's stories, but not the success because if I'm in talking to you, you're successful, but it's about <laughs> the shit it's about the shit that you went through to get there, and to me that's what your fans appreciate that's what i appreciate and that for the next generation of people coming up they need motivation so i ask everybody the same thing what does self-made mean for you self-made we was just having this conversation too not too long ago self-made to me means freedom Mm. it gives you the leeway to do what others won't, which also brings on, you know, innovation. So if you're self-made, you can do things that normally wouldn't happen. Just yep. like just like the taste of your spirits. If you wasn't self-made doing that, we wouldn't have those flavors and tastes. You know what I mean? If yep. you went the way everybody else did it, we would have the same type of stuff. So being self-made to me is just freedom, being able to do what you want creatively, you know, uh, say what you want, inspire in a way that only you can, you know. Um, yeah, that's that's basically what it is to me, man, freedom. So so take, take, take me back. When you were a little kid then, what did you want to be? What did you want to be when you grew up? Man, when I was a kid, I, I I wanted to like when I was like around a, a teenager, I used to always want to act because I was like the only child growing up and I only had television. So it was just me and television. I couldn't wait to get home and watch television. I mean, that was it. Still to this day I'm like that. I'm just What was your, what was what was your favorite show back then? What was what were you watching? Several of them. I would watch TV all day like that was it like it was if if it wasn't six million dollar man it was 
Dynasty, if it wasn't Dynasty, it was Tom and Jerry. If it wasn't Tom and Jerry, it was uh, uh, Goldar. I used to watch like, Spectrum Man. <laughs> I mean, I used to but, watch but- it. You, you, I can so I'm from I'm from Chicago as well, so we have that. But you're old enough to remember back then we had WGN and we had Channel 32, yeah, and we had ABC, NBC, and C. We didn't have anything else. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> 32 was it, man. I used to love watch Channel 32. That was my station, man. That's when TV used to go off. <laughs> yeah. Remember when TV went off? Like it, it would off. Yep. Snow, nothing. Wasn't no programming. You can't find nothing else. It was just off. Yeah, that was back then. So, 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 acting caught your bug. Was that it for you when you saw that? Was that was that your ability to kind of to to be somebody else, to want to be somebody else? Well, I was already I already had an imagination. You know, with my toys and my, you know, my car, my little toy cars and, you know, the Spider-Man dials and all that. Like, I used to just, I already had an imagination. So with television, I would see them and then I would want to be them. And then when I realized, and then I would act like them. Like, I used to love fame. You know, I used to like, I used to like every anything I saw, I used to... Andy Griffin show. I used to just watch these shows and just be like, man, that'd be cool to be in that town. Or maybe it'd be good to be part of this and be a part of that. And then as I got older, you know, I started realizing that these are like these are like actors. You know, I used to pretend to be a part of those situations. And then when I found out they, they were acting, you know, I was like, oh wow, they acting. And so I just always took a liking to that, but we never had the money for me to go to school with that. Like even college, we didn't have no money for me to even go to college, you know? So, I mean, I did go, but I just went off of going to an agency and the agency being like, this is the only school that would take you. And I was like, okay, I'll go to Arkansas. And that's exactly how it was. It wasn't like I sought out to go to an HBCU. It was just one that was available and allowed me to go. So uh, you, you just followed the path. You followed everyone else's path. Yeah, because we we didn't have money. I didn't have money to go to college, and so all my friends were going to college, and I was like, man, I'm just gonna go to a, like a community college. But then a friend of mine was like, man, there's an agency downtown that a finer school to go to, and they'll get paid for you going. So you don't have to pay tuition. So I was like, okay. So I signed up for it. And sure enough, they found a school in Arkansas called uh, Philander Smith in Little Rock. And I ended up going there. And that was it. And then I just, I went to school that way. Cause I, I mean, but that was just college. I never, my dream of acting was been out, been out of the situation uh, all the way around because we didn't have money for nothing. So I, and I even asked my mother, and she was just like, we don't have money for that. So I just never decided to go to acting school. I just what, you stu- what were you studying in school? I, stu- I studied drama. I was doing drama. I was doing plays. Psychology. Yeah, psychology and drama. I was doing different plays and being a part of different, uh, yeah, different plays and stuff that was going on in school. And then I was studying, psych- studying uh, psychology. And uh, that was it. Yeah. Did you and, like? Did you did you like the feeling of being on stage? 
Yeah, I loved it. It was it's, it being on stage has always been an escape. It's always been a way to you know just kind of be somewhere else for a moment. You know, be somebody else. Take whatever frustrations out in that character. You know, instead of me doing this, so it was always an escape. But I've been escaping my whole life, even as a kid, because I was the only child coming up. Yeah, I always it's it's a very familiar space for me to just be somewhere else. You Put know? yourself in different situations because you need you need other people. You need those situations to create the sense of others. Correct. Yeah. Even to this day, man, I just zone out so much, man. I just be in my own mind and my own world. Sometimes somebody will be talking to me and I'll just be staring at them and not hear one word they're saying. And they will feel comfortable. They'll be like, why is he staring at me? <laughs> no attention whatsoever, man. Like, that's just me being in my mind and how zony I've been ever since a kid or whatever. You know, so, yeah. I'm curious, Dion, because my father is an only child, and we always make fun of him for that. Mm -hmm. do, do, do you think the fact that you realize, because he does it too, he thinks about the fact that he uses that as an excuse for everything. I was an only <laughs> child. I had nothing else. There's nothing else. I don't know what this is like. I don't know what it's like with other people. I have no clue. <laughs> no, I never, I never used it as a you know, a crutch or nothing like that. I just always used it as, you know, if somebody ever asked, like, you don't ever want to get married or you don't want to do this or you don't want to do that, I'd be like, I really don't need nobody like that. Yeah. Like, I, I would love to. That'd be cool. But I don't need to. I don't need no one to make me who I am. Yeah. Because I've been with me in my mind like i'm it's just always been me so i never had the type of type of vibe or feeling that i need to have a wife that completes me or i need to be with these people i need to hang out with these people i need to be a part of this organization or i need to be this 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 i just never never was like that like even with gangs anything i just never been a part of nothing i just because I always was cool within myself. I can entertain myself, you know, with my thoughts and how I feel, even if it's something I want to write about or whatever, you know. And this was before me being a writer. Like, this was just what I used to do, you know. So when did, when did and I, I've read the stories, but um, from your own words, when did comedy kick in for you? Comedy kicked in, like... I had came back from school because I only did like a year down in Arkansas. And then I came back. And when I came back, I think I spent a year working at this leather store and just selling coats and weed. And that was all I was doing, man. And then, like I said, that was like probably like 92. Yeah. No, 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 that was like 93. That was like 1993. And a friend of mine asked me, told me I should go on stage, you know, because that always made him laugh. Just, and I wasn't no funny dude. Like, I wasn't no cracking joke kind of motherfucker like that. It'd just be something to happen, and I'll get my rendition or my take on it. And he would always be like, boy, you crazy as hell. But I would be dead ass serious. Like, I wasn't no joking, wasn't no none of that. I would be really wondering 
whatever the fuck I'm asking him. And then he just was like, you should go on stage. And I was like, I ain't like doing that shit. And shit, I just, you know, he bet me $50 to go do it. And I did it and never this looked was, back. This was at a comedy club? Well, we was at his house when it first came up. And then we was like, when he said, I give you $50, I said, well, come on, all right, let's go down to the comedy club. We went to the comedy club and we watched these comedians go on stage. And I was like, these dudes corny as hell. I was like, I could tell a story better than them. So I tried to get on and they wouldn't let me get on. And then I went back the next week, they wouldn't let me get on. And then the third week I went, I went on and lights out. Do you remember the bit? Yeah, some of them. One of the one of the bits was about this. You remember this commercial in Chicago called Eagle Man? It's an insurance commercial. It was just like this this dude in an eagle suit. It was these two white girls in the car, and then this eagle landed on their car, and he laid an egg and he loped out. And these girls was like, ah, it was the worst. You know them Chicago commercials, yeah, 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 yeah. commercial ever. And I just was explaining how that eagle would never come to the hood. And then I had this other about this girl wanted me to drop off in the projects and when i went to drop off she was asking me to walk up to her door and i was like motherfucker who gonna walk me back to my car because the projects <laughs> I, I, I was like you better get some of these motherfuckers you grew up with around here to, to walk you to your door because i'm not walking you to your door but that was what i actually really said to her and these are just things this is how I used to like talk and just say stuff. And so I just remembered a few of the stories and shit. I sat and said them on stage and man, the rest was history. But it, it sounds like, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it, it, to me, it sounds like you didn't think you were funny. You're just telling stories that people thought were funny. Does that make sense? Yeah, but people would laugh, but no one would be like, man, you a comedian. Yeah. Nobody. Nobody took me as a comic. I just wasn't no, you know, I just wasn't no like goofy motherfucker like that. Like, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I never was still to this day. Like I let down a lot of people when they run into me and they'd be like, man, it's the comedian. Yeah, they, yeah. I'd be like, motherfucker, I ain't no Justin and shit. Like I, I ain't cracking jokes and shit right now. Like I'm just, I'm still like that to this day. Like, it's just a thought process that I have towards something and then I write it down and then I say it later, but I'm not a guy that's just around here like just cracking jokes. I'm more like an observationalist. Like I, I look at shit, I look at shit and, and observe it and then talk about it. And and that's basically how I see myself because when it comes to silly shit, I'm, I'm not really all aboard on that, you know. I like corny shit. Corny jokes are funny as shit to me, but just silly shit, like I just that shit don't that shit don't do nothing for me. So I just I'll... so who who in your mind? Because if you felt putting aside the direction you went into, who who else out there is like that? So i thought i was weird for feeling that way and doing that you know but at the same token it's what made my career go so fast in chicago like i blew up quick as hell in chicago like it was like i think i was on tv four months after i started and but how does I, that so, but, but hold on how does that happen like what happened what exactly happened 
I think it was just the fact that what kind of comic I was. Like the way that I'm telling you, and you like you're asking me who else was doing that. Wasn't no black black dudes that I knew of at the time that was really because I wasn't no like, hey everybody, and da da I was real slow paced. I would read my jokes off of a napkin because I was so high I couldn't remember them. So I would read them off a napkin and, and that would be it. But I started learning about other comedians who were like similar, like Mitch Hedberg and, and Stephen Wright. And I started yeah. watching, I started doing comedy. I started watching these guys. And then when it comes to observational humor, I mean, some of the greatest was like Ellen DeGeneres and George Garland, who would take these little minuscule things and then just blow them all out of proportion, you know? I mean, with the fearlessness of, of, of Eddie Murphy, the smartness of Eddie Murphy, the, the the just the raw talent of Richard Pryor and Red Fox. I mean, it was just like, and Moms Mabley, just, and, and Lenny Bruce too. These are people who I ended up studying later on, who, to be honest with you, besides Richard Pryor and Eddie Murphy, I had no idea even existed until yeah. I started comedy. When I started doing comedy, I started researching and looking. I'm like, oh my God, look at these people. And like, man, so I was doing something that naturally happened. And then I started seeing that, you know, people like Stephen Wright was just like, Stephen Wright was like that. Did you think he was, did you, because I, I'm a little older, but I remember seeing him and thinking, mm -hmm. oh my God, this is so, his, his, his tone and his slowness and his delivery was unlike anything else. Anything you ever seen before. And that's what I, when I started looking at, when I started looking at him and started researching him and looking at the things he was doing, this dude just, he reminded me, please believe it, he is way great, greater comic, but I still saw myself in him just, the originality and his pace and his delivery was just something that I just looked at and was like, yeah, you ain't got to do like the rest of you. I don't have to do it like the rest of these motherfuckers. I ain't got to rush to my punchlines and rush to the joke and, 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 and do all this goofy shit. Like I don't have to do it. And this man is showing me that I don't have to do it. And so therefore I just, that, 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 that boosts my confidence more confidence more than anything to just, more and more weird and different. Did did when did you own the fact that you know what I'm a comedian? Man. Well, I used to call myself that probably after I did this show. Four months later I got on TV, this show called Comic Justice on Comedy Central. And then that's when I was like, man, I think I'm a real live comedian, but I wasn't. I was I was a way ahead of my time. I only had a little bit amount of material, and then I did Def Comedy Jam eight months later, and that was unheard of because it was comedians in Chicago who had been doing comedy for years, and they tried to get on there and they couldn't get on it. It was just because they didn't have the swag and they just didn't have the originality or whatever. And shit, I ended up making it on there or whatever, but still. Not considering myself, thinking I'm a comedian, but I wasn't because I only been doing now at this point, I only been doing comedy 12 months because it was eight months after the first time I was on TV. So that was, that, yeah, that was like a year, so 12 months. So the material I did on Def Jam left me with even less material. So now I, I, 14, I think I have 14 minutes. 
And after Def Jam, I was down. And after Comic Justice, I was down to like probably seven. I had seven minutes worth of material left. And then it blew up so big with me on Def Jam because of how different I was. They took me on tour. And so now I'm on tour. I was bombing everywhere. I was bombing, like fucking, like not knowing, trying doing my shit from TV, then doing my own shit. Like it was, it just wasn't good. Like it just wasn't good. And they ended up sending me home. And it was like, you know. What what was your takeaway from that? I need to write. Did you like, and I, I fucking hate writing stuff down. I can't do it. Can you write stuff down? I, yes, I, I was like, I need to start writing. I need, I need material. I need to write. I need to write material, and that's when I start going. Okay, I need to write. I gotta write, and shit. That's what I start doing. I just start writing and writing and writing, and that's when I start feeling like, okay, I'm a comedian because I started writing and I was performing and I was just underground in Chicago and just hitting all the clubs and just writing and building up my whole shit and just killing the game and killing it and killing it, but still not on no big national level at all. Just in Chicago, I was just rampant around Chicago. Performing what, 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 what was the next stage for you after Chicago? What was the next ladder you climbed? The next thing that happened to me, well, one of the things that happened to me was I ended up getting in Barbershop, the mm. movie at a cameo that was this big in, in, in barbershop. I think I had one line and that was it. But it was so big for a guy from the South Side of Chicago to be in a major motion picture that, that, that hit number one. It was like crazy. And then that one little part that I had, people remember that. I remember doing shows and on the billboard or on the poster, they'll be like, from barbershop. Who said this? Like, <laughs> they had my line on the billboard that I said. Like, I think I said something like, when we gonna get reparations? They was like, Deion Cole, who said when we gonna get reparations in barbershop? Like, it was, it was like that, you know? And it was like, like that, that was like something that carried me into other people going, okay, well, who's kid? And so I would perform even more and then my manager, who I'm still with, she was working for HBO. And I was with this one girl named Vanessa Fraction, and she wanted me to take her to an audition. And I took her to an audition. I told her, I'll pick her up later. And then when I went back to pick her up, she was like, man, I'm waiting to see if I made it to the next round. While we was driving away, she got a call going. She made it. And she was mm. like, man, can you, back? can you take me back? Can you take me back? Because I made it. Circle back around, took her, and I was like, I'll be sitting in the car. She was like, man, you might as well come in. And I went in, and they had this whole diversity showcase for NBC, and I'm sitting there waiting on Vanessa to do this. And somebody came up to me and was like, you you going on? And I was like, nah. I said, I'm just here with Vanessa. They was like, man, you might as well do something. You sitting here. And I was like, nah. And they was like, might as well. So I don't know how I went on. I ended up going on, and I did like four minutes. My man, the manager, the, the woman from HBO, who's my manager now, saw me and was like, "Man, I want to bring you to Aspen 
and brought me to Aspen Comedy Festival where I performed with the likes. We was all on the same stage performing together. Dana Waynes, Chris Tucker, Dave Chappelle, uh, uh, D-Ray Davis. Uh, what year was this? What year was this? Man, this was like 20... Probably 2005. Did you know it's, who everybody was? Yeah, I knew who they all were. Yeah, I knew who they Did all they know were. know who you knew? Did they know you? They knew me too. They knew about me. See, I was always a comedian's comedian. So they knew about me and they knew that, man, this this dude in Chicago that's like. What, hold on, what, what does that mean? What does that mean? A comedian's comedian? Comedian's comedian is a guy who might not be super famous, might not have no TV show. Can't sit a lot of asses in seats if he tour. Probably, uh, uh, probably thirty people might know who he is, and they come out. But whoever do see this motherfucker is now a fan. Yeah, and comedians know this dude. And they know he's funny as fuck. He's funny as hell. He just don't have the notoriety. But we we fuck with him, and and when people start getting a hold of this dude, he gonna make. So that's like a comedian's comedian in a sense, you know? And so I was always that. I was always what comics would be like, oh my God, I wish I thought of that. Oh, oh my God, I wish I could have said that. You know, it, it, all, it always had that admiration of him. And so, yeah, after that, then it was just like, yo, like after that, I was performing with Aziz and a lot of great comedians. And after that, there was a guy down there that worked for Conan. He saw me and... Years later, he started working for Conan, and he asked me to uh, come come be a part of the show, be a guest did, on the show. At, at, at that time, because I, I read you, you wrote for him, did you ever imagine you'd be writing for somebody else? Well, I was writing for people already. Ricky, this comedian named Ricky Smiley, he gave me my first paid writing job. And I was writing for him when he was hosting the show called Comic View. And then he started doing these crank, crank phone calls, tapes that his CDs that he was selling down south that he made millions on. He was killing it on that, and I wrote for that too. And so, he always loved my pen. Like I said, a comedian's comedian. And then after that, um, man, it just that was the next big writing job I had was Conan. Um. It, to me, it feels like you're, and I think this is important. You're taking your moments of opportunity, and you're you're making it enormous. Whether it's barbershop, whether it's taking that you know, the four minutes with on HBO, whether it's uh, um, everything. You're, do you feel that in the sense of you're you're having a bigger impact? You're you're turning even blackish. You're turning your character into something bigger than everybody else expected. That's how you're supposed to do it. And that's that's just how it how you're supposed to do it. Like you're you're supposed to take that one line, even if you ain't got lines. If you're in the back of a scene, you you're supposed to be seen, and you have to do that. And you so, have to that 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 that's part that's part of being self-made. Is taking so, these opportunities and these chances and doing it. So. What is it that you're doing? Like, what is in your head? What are you telling yourself in that moment with one line? How do I stand out? How do I make a difference? Like, what it's goes about, on? It's about choices. 
It's how you choose to do everything. That just that's just in life. Period. You can yeah. choose to you can choose to do it the mild way, or you can choose it the wild way. You can choose to do it the high or the low way, the rough, the soft. It's all about choices, or you can mix it all up together. However you do it, it's about your choices. Chris Rock told me that before. He was like, yo, he was like, he was talking about this one comic one day, huge comedian. He was like, he's one of the greatest comedians in the world. And I was like, better than you? And he was like, yes. And I was like, wow, that's that's big enough for you to say. He was like, yeah, no, he's a great comedian. He was like, but I choose better jokes. And he said, it's all about your choices. He said, and that's what makes me here because I choose better jokes. And that's real. It's just how you choose, how you choose to play this character, how you choose to say this line. Do you choose to say it like everybody else or do you choose to be different? Do you choose to take time with that line and try to figure out a different way to say it or a way to say it that's impactful on people? To make people remember you and remember that. Like, like it's it's those things, you know. Wesley Snipes was in Michael Jackson You Bad video, and Wesley Lime was, You ain't bad. That was it. <laughs> Wesley said, You ain't bad. And now we got the legend Wesley Snipes. But it's if, probably- if someone told you, if the director told you, if whoever this is the way I want you to do it. And you're in your head, you're saying, no, no, that's not how it should be done. It should be done this way. What do you well, do? Compromise. You just talk to the director and go, man, I kind of see it this way. You know, and then they go, well, can you give me one this way? And then we get one your way. And then I go, okay, fine, cool. And then we we do it like that. Get one with a hybrid with both our ways. And that's how we do it or whatever. Now, what he chooses to use is on him and that's what's gonna make his project great or not so it's still about choices again if he chooses to go the safe way because these people want it that way or he can go the way that he didn't think about but he knows in his heart is way better than the way that he wrote it he can go that way but it all depends on his choice but what i gave is i gave him the choices i think was best for the moment